chapter 9x and y back to about 800 CE, back in Europe they observed the latest clash between Christians and Muslims, this time in France, let us examine the status of the Muslims and the Christians said x. The battle near Poitiers in 732 changed the political situation completely, it looks like the end of the Muslim invasion of Europe, the troops of French King Charles were primarily infantry with the Muslims on horseback and this had an interesting consequence, Charles learned that he had to develop elite troops of horsemen too but he needed money, so he turned to the church to help finance this, his support of the missionary Boniface. His conversion to Catholicism and the Pope's understanding that recovery of the southern provinces would mean the restoration of the church and its property they made the idea of the church bearing some of the expenses of a mounted cavalry, attractive to the Pope. This started a symbiotic relationship between the Catholic Church and the French kings. The latter appreciated the religious and financial support of the church and the popes did not need the already waning protection provided by the emperor at Constantinople after Charles' victory near Poitiers. The relationship between the emperors and the popes had clearly become more strained with the latter becoming quite independent. Charles demanded that the church eliminate and punish lax and worldly bishops and abbeys. The church agreed to that reluctantly but this made for a stronger, more ethical and hence more popular church. Nicknaming Charles Martel Bahamar is a cute name, only from the Christian's point of view interjected YX and Y again about 800 CE, the Franks really have become very powerful, in part because of their close cooperation with the Catholic Church said X. Charlemagne was the key person in establishing the alliance between the Roman papacy and the growing kingdom of the Franks, as great-grandson of Charles Martel. He united the two halves of the realm, Neustria and Austrasia, governing a large territory, then Pope Leo II, 795-816, declared the imperial title vacant after the paranoid Empress Irene took over in Constantinople. After Leo was almost killed by relatives of his predecessor he took refuge with Charles in Frankland where he had earlier sent the keys of St. Peter's and the banner of Rome. As Charles rose from prayer before St. Peter's tomb, Leo crowned him, the congregation acclaimed him Caesar and Augustus and the Pope knelt in homage before him. Clearly the Church and the Franks had established a very close working relationship X and Y about 1000 CE again we now have the Roman Empire split into two parts where the Eastern Empire later known as the Byzantine Empire survived better than did the Western Roman one. This must be due to a combination of geographic factors, personalities, and chance commented X. For one important reason, the Eastern one has shorter and more defensible frontiers against the barbarians. With two empires it is of course essential that we have two religions to laugh why hence the Christian church now goes two ways. The split between the Eastern and Western Christian churches appears to be final. The species is incredibly petty. The Eastern Empire is a theocracy, with the church under the rule of the emperor as its head. The leader of the church, the patriarch, is appointed and deposed by the emperor. Surprisingly this worked although it was difficult at times. Allegiance to the political leader is spiritually required and political dissent is an unforgivable sin. The Greek Orthodox Church preaches that believers experience salvation on earth through piety whereas the Roman Church believed that the kingdom of God was reserved for the future. The Catholic Church is dominant over the emperor in the West, in no small manner helped by the French kings. Why the difference asks why? I think a big part is that the Greek Church challenged the hegemony of the Roman bishop and the concomitant idea of the infallibility of the Pope. 
This church was made to accept the emperor as the appointed representative of the kingdom of heaven and under his guidance was left to strive to remake society into an image of heaven. The higher standard of living in the East with better educated people has something to do with it too. Notes why Catholic priests cannot marry whereas Greek priests are encouraged to do so. Only a totally dictatorial and powerful organization like the Catholic Church can get away with ordering its priests and nuns into an unnatural state of living. Those priests and nuns are totally at the service of the church with the only consolation that they have a secure but boring existence X and Y again about 1000 CE, traveling through Europe, they encountered a group of people that appeared to be misfits in the societies they lived in, let us reserve comments on these Romani till we see more of them later said X, I suspect they are in for some very hard times, being considered outsiders everywhere, what are the people in Scandinavia up to? We should probably call this period from the earliest recorded raids in the 790s until the Norman conquest of England in 1066 the Viking Age in Europe exclaimed why these Vikings living in later day Denmark, Norway and Sweden, went all over a large part of the world with their ships, they used the Norwegian and Baltic Sea to sail south in the North Sea and the Atlantic Ocean to go west and north, they established settlements in the Shetland, Orkney, and Faroe Islands, Iceland, and Greenland. Also a short-lived settlement in Newfoundland, about 1,000 called Lansorks Meadows as well as similar settlements in Greenland and Iceland were originally discovered by sailors blown off course. The Greenland settlement eventually died out, due to climate change. The Vikings also explored and settled in territories in Slavic-dominated areas of Eastern Europe, especially Kiev and Rus which later became Russia. They plied the Volga in Russia with their trade goods, furs, tusks seal fat for boat sealant and slaves. As early as 839 Swedish emissaries visited Byzantium, a unit of the Byzantine Empire, the imperial Varangian Guard bodyguard, often contained large numbers of Scandinavians. One member of this guard, Harald Hardrada, became king of Norway from 1047-1066. Vikings even reached the city of Baghdad, the center of the Islamic Empire but the Norwegians expanded primarily to the north and west to places such as Ireland, Scotland, Iceland and Greenland, England and France and Normandy. The Normans in France are descended from them when Vikings established feudal overlordships there in the 10th century. One member of these Vikings deserves to be mentioned specially, Leif Eriksson the Daring. He was the son and grandson of outlaws and was the first European to land in North America, excluding Greenland. He founded two Norse colonies in Greenland called the Western Settlement and the Eastern Settlement. He also landed in Baffin Island and later in Labrador. His small settlements founded there did not last. Chapter 10 X and Y again about 1000 CE, in Siberia, they witnessed the Great Seljuk Empire arising, in Eastern Siberia, close to the Aral Sea. They assessed the early Seljuks as follows, Seljuk showed great promise. He was a very smart leader who was given the opportunity to plan ahead for the leadership after him and did so. These people believe in the divine nature of their leaders so there won't be as much trouble fighting for who is next in line to lead and they embraced a religion that is vigorous and widely accepted by the people conquered. The lands to the east have tribes with weak leadership and will not be able to withstand the Seljuks militarily X and Y again about 1050 CE. Note that when the Seljuks rode into Iran in 1045, they were Sunnis and Sufis, said X. The latter grew rapidly in numbers because they had dynamic leadership and because the Seljuks accepted various religious beliefs. They summarized their assessment of the Sufis as follows, the ideas of the Sufis are very similar to those of the Gnostics in the early Christian period, 
Buddhism is first enunciated by Buddha, as well as early Judaism and other religions at their beginning, think for yourself in terms of formulating what you want to believe in, such a philosophy of life is very healthy and could ultimately be a way to go for all of humanity, their dancers aided them in achieving such a philosophy apparently and it certainly fosters camaraderie in their group, at this time the world is not ready for such philosophies of life, dogma and the need and desire for violence and power requires rulers, be they kings or priests, who can manipulate the majority of the people to their end X and Y again about 1100 CE let us now comment on the Romanus, also called Gypsies, observed why I predict they will have an unhappy existence in general said X, they are downtrodden and used by other people and do not fit in with them in their looks and outlook on life, and they were viewed as disloyal when they refused to be soldiers in a cause they did not believe in so that the smart ones became deserters and migrated elsewhere, unless they can start their own country somehow they will be like the Jews, stateless, but unlike the Jews they do not have a religion to keep them together, they seem to live a simple artistic lifestyle though said why it is not at all obvious to me that they are less happy than the rest of the people they live with, let us get back and focus on the amazing story of the Seljuks X and Y about 1100 CE again, they summarized the Seljuk state of the Iran-Turkey area in 1100 as follows, they clearly ruled here and well for a long time, especially during the reigns of Togrul Beg, Chagri, Alpaslan and Maliksha, from about 1040-1090, it was a period of almost continuous fighting, much of it between Eastern Europe and Asia. But now clearly the Seljuk Empire is on the decline, it looks like there are vigorous warriors in the east, the Mongols, ready to take over at some point of time, much of Europe is under the influence of the papacy which is clearly afraid of what the Muslims such as the Seljuks and successors might do when they turn west for conquest X and Y about 1200. The Rum Seljuks were adversaries of the European Christians in the first three crusades noted X. These crusades are definitely a testimony to the anger in this species for people with different beliefs and an incredible hankering for an important part of the world that they value greatly. It looks like there are vigorous warriors in the east, the Mongols, ready to take over at some point of time. Much of Europe is heavily influenced by the papacy which is clearly afraid of what the Muslims such as the Seljuks and successors might do when they turn west for conquest X and Y again about 1200. Back in Europe after observing the feudal period there, Y clearly stated her liking for the development of chivalry by admitting, I am so tired of women not being equal to men in this society even though it has made sense for the development of the species up to this time, chivalry is still not equality but at least women are put on a pedestal instead of being owned, and this gives them rights that they never had, men's ability to seduce is now at a premium if they want success with women. The basic master-slave relationship between the nobles and the serfs is sickening, inheritance should not be the criteria of being a better, more deserving person, again, it is understandable that people want to be protected and have security but at some point in time as this system shows, one pays a price for being a serf, the development of knights is logical too but has disadvantages, as long as they are fairly invulnerable they will be encouraging wars. The serfs are primarily the ones that die in war and the knights will look good to the women and their parents when they survive or even better, succeed in battle X and Y again about 1200. Looking into the final battles of the Crusades where the Christians pretty much lost all lands they had conquered at one time, X noted that the Kurdish leader Saladin was a great soldier as well as being both cunning and chivalrous towards his enemies, 
and his men truly believed in him and followed him ardently. He truly lived the dictates of his Muslim religion X and Y about 1300. They summarized events in the Middle East and its effect on Europe around 1250 after the Crusades as follows, the Christians lost out in the Middle East. This is not surprising, since most of the locals were against them and their supply lines were too long. This was a considerable setback for the papacy since many people in Europe now doubted that their god was on their side with a logical side issue. Is there really a god is claimed? The Crusades ended about 1204. The ones after that date were really not serious efforts and can be ignored. The Crusades in the Holy Land failed in their chief purpose but they exercised an important influence on Western civilization. It brought the West into closer contact with new ways of living and thinking, stimulated commerce, gave fresh impetus to literature and invention, and increased knowledge of the geography of Europe and the Middle East. The Crusading period advanced the development of national monarchies in Europe, because the losses of Christianity in their holy land made the Pope look weak and allowed secular leaders to deprive him of the power of decision-making after the disastrous outcome of what was to have been a great Christian enterprise. In the Levant the Crusades left a lasting imprint, not least on the Byzantine Empire, which was disastrously weakened. In the Middle East tremendous hatred of Christianity would persist for a long time because of the havoc created by the Crusaders, changing from being slaves to rulers as the Mamluks did in Egypt. Starting with Abek, who married the mother of the logical successor, is a fascinating development, but Grissom commented why since she murdered her own son Turanshah, the logical successor, but Egypt and Syria were ruled by Mamluk sultans for a long time, crime sometimes bays. Chapter 11 X and Y again about 1250, they witnessed the period of the 11th and 12th centuries, as one of consolidation, as they anticipated one of the most momentous eras in history, the era of Genghis Khan in Siberia, Olin, the mother of Genghis Khan, told them that she felt that one of her sons was destined for greatness although she was not sure which one, she spared no energy to teach her kids that they were meant to be great, she also was a very strict mother and emphasized that they stick together. Loyalty is just about everything she told them and she punished them severely if they fought for selfish reasons. Being an incredibly tough woman with a tremendous amount of energy, she was a good example to her sons and daughters. They were constantly taught to be self-sufficient, never to cry or show pain X and Y about 1350. They summarized their assessment of Genghis Khan and his effect on history as follows, given his way of life, his environment and his race. Genghis Khan was a man of reflective thought and sturdy common sense. He was a stable person and a good listener. He was firm and loyal in his friendships and all those turn. He was also generous and affectionate. He was an excellent administrator of nomadic people and was singularly good at selecting the right people for the right job. He intensely disliked traitors, not surprising the value he put on loyalty. His success changed the way of history. He unified and pacified a huge area, from China, to Iran to Turin, that is, the area to the northeast of Gorazan and lying beyond the Oxus. This resulted in an exchange of inventions and ideas that propelled the world onward. It made possible the travel of such people as Marco, Polo, Barsorma, and other travelers who exposed the civilized and uncivilized worlds to each other. At the same time contacts between China, the Middle East and Europe meant that diseases would readily spread through the known world causing massive devastation in many areas. 
He was a clever warrior in that he integrated his cavalry so that different men from different tribes were in the same parts of the army so they could bond and not become antagonistic to his tribe. He gave free reign to all religions, not controlling any of them and avoiding a lot of conflict that way. He lived for sex and progeny, the number of his wives, concubines and one-time loves was practically uncountable. He was clearly a man who thought he was God's gift to mankind, presuming he believed there was a God. Two people that played a critical role in his life were his mother and his first wife but they would not have approved of him if they had lived longer, seeing what he did with women. Both X and Y thoroughly approved of the two pioneering travelers, Rabin Barsalma and Marco Polo, noting that the travel of the first was motivated by religious motivation and of the second curiosity in general and thirst for fame and wealth. It is people like this that encourages globalization said Y yes said X but Genghis Khan made it possible X and Y about 1400, they assessed the Mongolian Empire, S, as follows, the strengths of the Mongolians were their tolerance of religions, their remarkable information system based on a large network of stations with couriers on horseback rapidly moving from any part of the empire to another, their general considerate care of conquered people based on their Buddhist religious beliefs and for a long time their unrivaled abilities in warfare where other nations trembled at the thought of the Mongols coming their way. It was fortunate for the Muslim nations that some of the Khans died when they did so that the army withdrew until a new Khan was selected. Otherwise all of the Muslim countries would have been conquered by the Mongols. The latter also had several weaknesses. They frequently quarreled particularly at times of succession and numerous Khans died prematurely because of excessive indulgence of alcoholic beverages often coupled with a life of debauchery. Eventually the empire disintegrated because of such problems as well as lack of toughness due to their Buddhist belief system and addiction to a good life full of luxuries. Genghis Khan had predicted that such problems would arise in future generations. The overall Khanate ruling from Persia to China lasted no more than a 100 years, from Kublai Khan to Tong Tema, but X noted that parts of the empire lasted longer under descendants of two sons of Genghis Khan, Jagatai and Tolalu, the latter by way of Hulagu, the brother of Monka who had been appointed to be the Khan of Persia by Monka.